The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heald and I'm joined today by Katie Balls, The Spectator's political editor, and Stephen Bush from the Financial Times. Now, Katie, I think of all the Sunday articles written yesterday, the most interesting one perhaps was David Cameron's joint op-ed with his German counterpart in the Sunday Times, talking about the UK's position on Gaza. Talk us through this. Yes, yeah, so this seemed to signal a change in position from the UK government, one that's since been backed up by Grant Shapps, the Defence Secretary. David Cameron, in that joint op-ed, effectively said he would like to see a sustainable ceasefire in the Israel-Gaza conflict, um, warning that too many civilians have been killed. Now, it's always been the case that the UK government has and would say too many civilians have been killed. But up until this point, they've been talking about a humanitarian pause. And this is not calling for a ceasefire now, which is what I think you know, lots of countries have been calling for, and what lots of uh, you know, MPs and Labour, those who resigned, they wanted the immediate ceasefire. When we talk about sustainable ceasefire, it is uh, you know, saying that it can't just be about freezing things, freezing the conflict today, but working out how you can bring things to a close. So there's not a huge difference, but I think the very fact that the Foreign Secretary is now using the word ceasefire shows how things are moving. And I think when you look at the death toll, uh, the fact that they estimated that more than 18,000 people have been killed, including thousands of children, you look at the recent UN voting motion where America voted against uh, the motion calling for an immediate ceasefire and the UK abstained, Germany abstained. And it feels that we're reaching a point where Israel is under more pressure to ultimately explain its long-term plan and specifically in this piece I mean they do need to do more to differentiate between Hamas and mm-hmm. civilians now I think one of the problems is if you think back to a few days ago when the Israeli ambassador to the UK gave an interview to Sky News saying there could be no two-state solution I think comments such as that I mean the UK government position is still that there needs to be a two-state solution but if you have the Israeli saying that is not possible we're getting to the point which is how is this going to play out and you have UK ministers now talking about you know what is it going to be are the Gazans going to find new leaders within Palestine are you going to have a situation where Arab states start to work out how to do it Israel suggests they do not want to be anywhere near policing or running Gaza but I think there is a sense that if Israel continue to do so in what is perceived to be an indiscriminate way they could lose some of their friends in the West. Uh, Stephen talk us through the changing UK position on all this. Well to be honest I don't think I have much to add to Katie's very elegant expression of the journey there which is I mean essentially the UK's position has basically been a pretty straight down the line European country that is aligned with the Biden White House in that period when Biden was essentially trying to say yeah go look I hear your pain but like stop and think before you do something and essentially every as another European diplomat uh, quipped to me you know every European minister was dispatched to kind of you know, man mark for for a you know for a day or two Rishi Sunak did that James Cleverly then foreign secretary did that and Essentially, the European main, well, the US mainstream is is moving on this. You know, Joe Biden has now said, "Yo, look, there's been excessive bombing," and the European mainstream is 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 moving as well. 
I don't think there's really all that much to add to what Katie said other than that. You know, essentially, other than I'm going to shamelessly abuse my you very kindly by saying, other than to say I would recommend everyone read an excellent piece about the Gaza Metro, which is the network of underground tunnels uh, run by Hamas, uh, written by my colleague John Paul Rathbone, which you can read for free by registering. Um, because you've breached your rules, I'm now going to breach my rules as a guest speaker and ask you a question, which is, do you think Keir Starmer will now change his position, given it feels as though he's been slightly looking for a way to soften it for his party anyway, and... Uh, this is this is surely an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think... OK, actually, I don't think this is as cynical as I'm going to make it sound. You know, I think Keir Starmer does also very strongly believe that he wants to be within the European mainstream, aligned to the Biden White House's chosen approach to this conflict, etc., etc. But broadly speaking... It's been very painful for for the Labour Party and for and for him internally to hold them to that position. Now that the government's position has softened, he will soften his position as well. He, you know, he's not going to get to the ceasefire position than someone overnight, but he will. He, his will similarly move, right? Because visibly, right, that is the trajectory. Um, I mean, that's been that is the trajectory of this conflict since you know, basically since eighty two, right? You know, Israel attempts to solve this problem through force of arms. That's backed by most of the West for a while, and then after a while, domestic opinion in the rest of the in the West goes like, okay, yeah, stop now. Historically, of course, that approach has not worked. It's just created you know yet more intractable problems. And you're exactly right to say that one of the things which has shifted the balance within Labour is that interview by the Israeli ambassador, which saw you know even you know people who are traditionally very pro-Israel kind of saying, well, look, come on, you've got to have a two-state solution for this to work. So yeah, Keir, Keir Starmer will will seek to to move along. And, of course, that was one big piece of Sunday media. The other, of course, was uh, Michelle Moan's big interview on Laura Koonsberg's show. Katie, what's happened with the story involving her and PPE contracts? Yeah, I think it's fair to say this interview did not go as Michelle Moan had planned, or at least if it did go as planned, we're we're concerned (laughs) um, for the thinking behind it. We can listen to a clip of it here. I don't honestly see there's a case to answer. Um, I can't see what we've done wrong. Um, Doug and the consortium have simply delivered a contract, a delivery contract of goods. But after everything, you can't see what you've done wrong when you've admitted today that you lied to the press and by extension you lied to the public. Laura, saying to the press I'm not involved to protect my family, can I just make this clear? It's not a crime. The press have got nothing to do with my family. I was protecting my family. So I think, James, that admission there, which was that she did lie to journalists, but apparently that's not a crime. (laughs) That was almost the main line from it. And you now have a situation where she has obviously accepted the idea that she stands to benefit from the profits made by the company, which is led by her husband. Of course, this goes back to the pandemic and this idea of VIP lanes, insider access, which meant that you got to a point where some contracts were awarded. And I think it's just one of those ones of alleged corruption by someone who who was a Tory peer um, who sat in the House of Lords until very recently as a Tory peer and then questions of course for those in the government at the time who granted those contracts so Michael Gove and his then role is facing some questions and 
Keir Starmer very quick to try and monopolise on this, saying ultimately Michelle Moan should not be in the Lord. She's currently taking a leave of absence and doesn't at the moment have the Conservative whip. But you have, I think Rishi Sunit saying he takes it very seriously. And now a situation whereby Michelle Moan then did a tweet saying, you know, is this serious? Ultimately uh, seeming to be very uh, annoyed that Rishi Sunit doesn't have her back. But I think the bad news for Michelle Moan is there's not many Tory MPs who have her back right now. And I think it's just seen as... Um, something where they'd be very keen to put distance between them and her. The question is, are they able to do that? Stephen, what do you make of all this row? I mean, I remember of the time a lot of Labour MPs were calling on urgent need for more PPE. There was obviously a real concern for sort of to damn the checks and just get the kids in line. Is it really fair for Labour to be making hay out of all this? Politics isn't fair. Uh, I, I mean, I think, I think you, you, you raise a really good question. I think there are two reasons why Labour has this COVID fraud recovery policy. One is that they desperately need to find revenue for somewhere for the stuff they want to spend more on without being done over in the marginals over borrowing or taxing more. But the other is is that what if Labour win the next election, what they will want to do is to reframe the government's handling of the pandemic, not as though they did the best they could, but to, you know, kind of... Just as George Osborne very skillfully used the financial crisis to reinforce all of the things voters fear about the Labour Party anyway, you know, that in a crisis it's a bit of a soft touch, it'll just spend money like it's water, etc, etc. Labour is trying to do, and will even more so when it has the bully pulpit of government, want to do though, you know, they gave money out for their mates, all in it together, rich noses in the trough, whether that's fair or not. I think the other policy thing to watch out for here though is, given that whoever wins the next election, the MOJ is not going to have very much money. I think the thing then this is, if, if I were either Alex Chalk or Shabana Mahmood and I wanted to do something and I knew would make some voters happy with me and get some positive write-ups in a time I can't spend money, I would be looking again at yeah, the strategic use of lawsuits to deter reporting. And I think, fairly or unfairly, that is where the political discourse on this is going to move next. Uh, so I think it's going to be a, a hard time for a lot of law firms. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening to Coffee Ash Arts.